Well, good morning, Living Water. It's good to see you all out this morning. Uh, today we're finishing up uh, Chapter 2 of Esther. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Uh, if you have ESV, that's page 411. And then if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's Word. We'll pick up at verse 19, page 411. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Fan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told it to the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and was found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles of the Presence of the King. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you and praise to your great name. You are worthy of all of our adoration. We know that you love this people and are deeply concerned about them. And I pray, Father, that you would help me today as a tool in your hand, an instrument that your spirit would use, that he would speak through me and that you would guide the souls of men and women to the proper destination, Lord, for those who have believed, that you would form them into the image of Christ. And although, Lord, we confess that we do not see you because you have hidden yourself from our eyes, we ask that you open our eyes to see the opportunities that you place before us and open our hearts that we might hear from your spirit, that our hearts might be good soil to receive your good word and produce a harvest of righteousness. Cleanse us from any sin, iniquity, trespass that we have committed, any ways that we have strayed away from the path that you have laid out for us in your word. Be with us now, Lord, as we seek to understand what your word says to us during our time on planet Earth. We pray that you are glorified, that the name of Jesus is exalted, and that your people are edified in all these things. In Jesus' holy name, we ask these requests. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So earlier this month, uh, my wife, my kids, and I uh, took uh, some time to travel down to just south of the D.C. area to attend a funeral for some very close friends of ours of their mother. Uh, and after attending the funeral, we went to the, the repast, and uh, then we visited with them, of course, with the long line of people who were there. We had to wait our turn and be able to give our condolences and just encourage and let them know uh, that we care for them. And after uh, attending the, the repast, we headed out and began to make our way home. And on the way home, we decided to, to grab a bite to eat. Now, you might be wondering if you've ever attended a repast, why would you leave a place with free food 
to go to a place and spend money on food. Well, let me give you two reasons. One, I have food issues. And two, my son has food allergies. And those are kind of the two reasons we decided to do that. Well, on our way back, we decided to go to a mall that we had been with before uh, because our thought and rationale was that food courts generally have a variety of options where everyone could choose a place that they wanted to eat to find some food that fit their particular palate and that everyone could be satisfied. And so we stopped at a mall somewhere in the Baltimore-ish area there to go to this mall. Well, we got to the, the parking lot. We uh, parked the car. And my family, uh, being motivated by hunger, quickly hopped out of the car and left me. And uh, I was about several yards behind them, locking up the car, making sure everything was okay as they made their way uh, without me toward the mall. Uh, as I was following them, not in a, a hurry, just walking calmly, I finally made it over to the end of the parking lot to cross the street to get onto the sidewalk. And as I was Heading towards the entrance of the mall, I noticed that off to the side in the distance there on the other side of the entrance to the mall, there was a, a gentleman sitting down. Uh, he had a grayish white beard, looked to be a little bit of an older gentleman, and he had with him uh, an olive-covered duffel bag that seemed to be stuffed uh, to the brim with items, I'm guessing his personal items. And as he as sat there, I, a thought came into my mind, which was just simply that, you know what? I wish I had some cash on me to give to him, but I knew I didn't have any cash. But just as I was having that thought, I noticed uh, that my wife, who was much farther ahead of me, uh, diverted from her course with cash in hand and walked over to the gentleman I had just had the thought about and gave him the cash and started up a conversation with him. Now, I didn't run over. I just casually made my way over to join the, the conversation to see what was going on, and uh, my wife just kind of had this conversation with him. She kind of found out about his life, what was going on, took some time to, to help him with her iPhone to find the bus stop that he wanted to go to. She addressed him by name, so obviously she had gotten his name. His name was Michael, and uh, she had a chance to discover that. And then uh, she had a chance to talk about the Lord with him. And after talking about the Lord with him, then she took time to pray for his well-being. Uh, once we finished the conversation and the prayer was over, we headed into the mall and he headed out to make it to the bus stop where he wanted to be able to travel to his next de destination. And, and during this whole time while we're standing there, uh, my wife's having this conversation and I'm just listening. People are coming in and out of the mall along the whole time. Now, I'm not sure how long Michael had been sitting there. He may have been there for hours or he may have just arrived before we had arrived at the mall. And perhaps uh, others, if he had been there for some time, may have stopped like us and helped him. Uh, I hope that was the case. What I do know is that we were presented with an opportunity. We had the time and we had the resources to do good, to help meet a need. But the question was, were we willing? Were we willing? Now, I want to admit to you up front, just to be honest, that there have been previous occasions where all three of those things have been present in my life also, but there was something vital that was missing. Uh, my heart was either, as the Bible describes it, fat, that is, meaning it was distracted or apathetic because my needs had already been satisfied, or my heart was hard, 
when the Bible uses that term, either it means resistant to change or helping or it's selfish or it's overly critical. And sometimes my heart is in that state as well. And on those times, although all those things were present on previous occasions, I chose not to do good. Maybe you've been there. Have you ever been there? I thought a few people could identify. Well, there are two scriptures that that weigh on my heart in those moments. Let me share them with you. One is Ephesians 2.10. Paul, in writing, of course, about the great thing that God has done through Jesus for us, says this about our salvation. After talking about what God has done, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says here, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But that's not the only scripture. There's another scripture that we covered in my community group some years ago that, that also weighs on me, and it's Titus 3.8. It says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. It's reading these scriptures as I allow them to work in my heart that they nudge me in a particular direction. Do good works in the name of Christ. Well, many years ago in Persia, God provided Mordecai with an opportune moment to do good. Uh, As you remember, we find ourselves during the time of King Ahasuerus, and we have identified him with who the Greeks called Xerxes I. And let me just recap the story. We remember that he made a foolish decision as the king that ultimately ended with the queen being deposed. And four years passed, and then a young Jewish woman by the name of Esther or Hadassah, and she was named Esther here, her Persian name that was given to her, was exalted to the office of queen in her place. And Esther's ascension to this position of influence would take place five years before she would leverage her status to advocate for her people. But the events in this text take take place during that period of time, that five-year window between when she's exalted and she needs to use her position to help her people. And the only time marker that we're given, because we're not sure where we are in the five-year window, we just know we're in there somewhere, is the first line. It's when the virgins were gathered together a second time. It's unclear from the word used in the text whether this is the same group being moved to a new residence or location, or if this is a, 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 a new gathering of young women conscripted for the king's amusement. Think of it like a national draft, but not for military service before marriage. If we were to put this in modern times, I would say that the Persian king in doing this would wreck all the dating apps for young men because he's consuming all the beautiful young women for himself. In either case, please know that we do not condone the illegitimate use or influence of power or influence to satisfy one's selfish desires or unjustly condemn the victims. Because as we consider this, we are sadly reminded that people make sinful choices all the time 
for selfish reasons that negatively impact others. I was running across a news story just recently last week. Two men placed a skimmer on a tele-ATM machine in Sheets in York County so that they could steal people's bank account information. And they were, the, the police were trying to contact people who had used it because they're not sure how many people had used that ATM and information had been taken. See, it's in light of these kinds of events that we should, as believers and followers of Jesus, choose good and refuse evil. Sin is present in the world around us, and we should not be surprised when we run into it. But as followers of Jesus, we don't have to be the perpetrators of sin. Now, while these events are transpiring in the young women's lives, Mordecai worked as a, it seems to appear from the text, a mid-level government official. And maybe Esther had used her influence when she had been put into office to make sure that he was appointed to this position. Now, we don't have the specifics about his employment, how he got the position. But what we do know from the text is that Mordecai continued to play an influential, uh, influential role in the life of his daughter. And the text seems to want to portray her as an obedient daughter. Notice what she does. The text says that she keeps her family relationships, her relationship with Mordecai, that he's her father, and her heritage, that she's a Jew, secret because her father had counseled her to act that way. Now, Mordecai, being in this position that we don't know how he received, perhaps by Esther's influence, affords him uh, a place to be where he is able to receive information that he otherwise would not have been able to know. The author does not explain how he comes to this information or how he receives it. He might have been coming around the corner one day just doing his duties, and as he was making his way around to that section of the palace where these two guards were standing guard, they began to speak in their native language and began to think that they were safe as they communicated in their heart language, and they were thinking no one else understood it, and Mordecai, being multilingual, uh, heard it, and, oh, and oh, as he overheard it because he was multilingual, he just stopped and listened and heard the plot. Or perhaps because he was a mid-level government official, perhaps there were some people that reported to him, and maybe that person overheard it and came to him as the authority and said, hey, listen, I've received this information, and I don't know what to do with it. Here, you deal with it. There's several possibilities. Whatever the method was that he received the information, Mordecai became aware of this assassination plot. And I believe here we catch a glimpse of the divine hand at work. The one guy working in the government who has a relationship with the queen unknown to others ends up with this information. Now, let's take a moment to pause and reflect on what's happened so far. Think about it. Over a period of years, two people, a father and a daughter, have been positioned in the right places so that lives could be saved. And what I find interesting about this text and observation is that the two of them were already in place before any plot was launched where they needed to act to deliver those people who would be taken advantage of. It's almost as if the one who was behind the scene orchestrating these events foreknew what would happen and then put things in place to deal with the situation that would come up. We might say that God in his providence, his love and wise, wise governance of the universe moved in a particular direction 
He was moving to save lives from evil plans. Why? As I stated previously, the last time I had a chance to talk with you about this because God was being faithful to his covenant promises. His faithfulness led him to order the world in such a way that the lives of his people were protected from extermination. I was recently reminded of this in my personal Bible reading time when I ran into Leviticus chapter 26. And in Leviticus 26, there's a statement from the Lord about Israel and about their future, but about how he would act at this period in their history that's relevant for our topic. And the Lord said this, yet for all that, and he's been describing how he's going to act when people rebel and when they decide to repent his people, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord, their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. We find this text where God is speaking and talking about how he's going to act, and we get it later as years past and earlier times of, uh, where God is in a conversation with Jeremiah and we get to find out about how committed God is to his word. And, and so he said this, Jeremiah says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. There's a play on the words in the text there between Jeremiah's vision and the word watching. But here, the point that's being brought across, across is that God ensures that what he says will happen. So whatever God has said, he, he always has it in mind, everything that he says, and he's careful to ensure that the world works out in such a way that what he says comes to pass. It's some of these things that we have learned from Esther that ought to equip us with mental lenses to think of what, about what might be happening in our lives when changes occur. Think about Esther. She was placed in some very unpleasant circumstances and had some very unpleasant experiences in order for her to be in the position that God wanted her to be in so that he could use her. Now, I'm not here excusing humans. They're not absolved of the responsibility for the evil that they did in the process. But ultimately, they served God's greater purpose. And so it may be the case that on some rare occasions, God could be through the circumstances of your life, which you might find unpleasant at the time, be repositioning you or others around you years ahead of time because he wants to use you for good purposes that are greater than your personal goals or dreams that you want to achieve in your life. And when we find ourselves in those moments, we need to know what to do when God presents us with an opportune moment to do good to and for others. Well, back to the story. Mordecai was faced with a choice. What would he do with the information that he had received? He could have chosen to kept it hidden, but instead he chose to, to do good. As we said previously, we're never told of people's motives. He could have done this really out of self-interest. It might have been concern for his daughter. It might have been to show loyalty to the king. Maybe he 
remembered something out of the law and he wanted to do it to be obedient to God, or it could have been like sometimes in our lives, it's a mixture of a variety of things. All we know is he decided to do good. Now, his governmental duties may have afforded him an audience with the queen on some regular occurrence, maybe once a month, and he used that to directly communicate with her. He may have used written form of communication, or he may have, as we see later in the book, used a person to work through to, who was trusted to get that information to her. But, but Mordecai made certain that Esther knew about the plot. And in turn, she passed this information along to her husband. But in doing that, she didn't take credit for it. She could have. She could have just simply said, this is what was going on. But instead, she gave credit to Mordecai. Again, the author seems to be indicating that she has some humility in her character. And the king, of course, did what was right. He didn't simply jump to conclusions. He had the information investigated first. And when he did have it investigated, the report was confirmed as truthful. And the men who were supposed to be serving on his secret service detail to protect him were found to be unfaithful. They were apprehended and they were sentenced to the governmental penalty for treason. Sometimes God will place us in situations where we are given information and we have to choose what we will do with that information. On a Friday years ago, I was sitting in my office attending to the normal duties for that week when the telephone rang. Now, normally I would not have answered the telephone in the office, but it happened to be on the one of those particular days when it was light staff. The person on the other end began to share with me their life circumstances and began to explain the situation that their family was facing. And while the person spoke, I pulled out a pad and began to take down a few notes and get their contact information about what they said. Now, at that time, during the life of our church, our compassion ministry was not structured in the way that it is today. Like we have a compassion board in the lobby that you can stop by and find needs to help meet people's needs if you want to do that at any time uh, that you're here for a weekend service. But we didn't have that structure in place. And it just so happened that all the people that I would have turned to on staff to resolve the issue uh, via church means were out of town. And they each had different dates that they were returning the following need, but this was a pressing need at the time. So I would have to wait if I wanted to get them involved, but the need needed to be addressed. Once I realized that was going on, that I was not going to be able to turn to other church staff to resolve it through church means, uh, I decided to do something different because now I was presented with this opportunity. So I, I called to check out to make sure it was a legitimate need first, and it was. And then when I discovered that, I was faced with the decision. Information had come to me. I had an opportunity. I had the time and I had the resources to meet that need. And the question that was before me was, what would I do in that situation? I could have simply said, look, this is not my job. I don't need to do anything. It's not my responsibility. And I could have simply let it pass. Instead, I decided to call my wife and I explained to her the situation because Whenever I'm about to try to make a decision that's going to impact the family, I, I like to engage my wife to make sure that I'm on the right track. And my wife has a background in social work, so often she's able to point out 
options that I have not considered because I have not worked with people as much as she has. So she often has insight and wisdom that I don't have. So I called her, explained what the situation was, and she agreed with the plan in light of what was going on with the timing and the frame and things like that. After gaining her approval and we were on the same page as a, as a unit and as a family, I launched out into God's world to do good. Sometimes you're going to be presented with information. You're going to receive that information, and you're going to have a choice before you. What will you do with the information that you have received? Now, lest we forget, we have all in this room as believers in Jesus Christ been entrusted with the most valuable lifesaver information for everyone in the world, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this news, different than any other news, leads to the salvation of souls. So I would encourage you and I to share it liberally. This past summer while I was in Houston, we took in my mother to uh, a, a local CVS that was near my parents' house because they had these little specific snacks that we couldn't find at any other store and we had run out. So we went up to the store to get these snacks. Well, I walk into the store and I find the specific snacks that we're looking for and they do have a couple bags so I grab all the bags off the shelf. so that I didn't have to make another trip the next day. <laughs> and as I'm going to the cash register, uh, I'm there, and the gentleman who is, the young gentleman who's uh, checking me out, I noticed that he has a golden cross hanging around his neck. And, and for some reason, I was just prompted. I thought we might have a Christian connection because I saw the cross of Christ hanging around his neck. And so I said, hey, brother, you know what that cross means? To which he replied, no, I don't. And I was like, Really? Like, I thought he was joking or pulling my leg. I was actually thinking, like, is there a camera around here somewhere? <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, you really don't know what it means? I mean, like, and he was like, he was like, yeah, my uh, girlfriend gave this to me as a gift, and I just wear it. I, I don't know what it means. And so I said, well, would you be interested in knowing what it means? And he was like, because there were no customers in the store, pass some time. He was like, sure. And I began to have time to share the gospel with him and explain to him what the cross that he was wearing around his neck meant. God had opened the door, and all I had to do was walk through it. And what that reminded me of was that there are still people in our world, despite all of the information that's out there, all the access, who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you have the opportunity, when you have the time, and when you have the resources to do good to others in God's world, seize that opportunity. This is one of the intended results that God seeks to produce in our lives by us being in a relationship with his son, the Lord Jesus, by you believing the gospel and God gifting you with his spirit. But I don't want you to believe me. Simply listen to the apostle who's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he instructs the pastor on how to teach his church this very thing. Listen to what he says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous 
for good works. It's with that understanding in mind that I believe that Paul, with his mature theology, had written earlier to the Galatians. And he said this to them, and I think it's good for us as well. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. When you have the opportunity, when you have the time, when you have the resources to do good to others, Seize it. And in so doing, you will lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Our text ends on what appears to be a rather bland note. A malicious plot had been thwarted. The assassins apprehended. The king saved from calamity. And all they did was just write it down. Some might call this anticlimactic. As you know, from our Get Connected event that we held a couple of weeks ago, our community groups are studying or going through this study called Abide, and it is uh, dealing with five different ways to engage Scripture, and it's teaching these five different skills. There are more skills than that, but there are five that it teaches. And one of those skills that we go, we're going to go over in that study is called journaling. And something similar is happening here in the text. There's journaling going on. Events are being recorded to later be reviewed. And as the story unfolds, we'll see how God uses journaling to serve his greater purposes. But this text ought to strike us as odd, considering some cultural background information. One scholar and commentator unearthed for us the relevance of this historical background when she wrote these words. The ancients promptly and generously rewarded exceptionally loyal and brave warriors and citizens. Court benefaction was so important to the Persians that they had a special word to designate the king's heroes. For their fearless acts of capture and enemy ships, one Samaian captain was made ruler of Samos and another given a large estate. Similarly, Herodotus records that Xerxes I rewarded the man who courageously saved the life of his brother around 479 by making him the ruler of Cilicia. Given this practice of benefaction, readers would expect a notice of Mordecai's reward for a reporting the assassination plot. But for that, we'll have to wait until chapter 6 because Xerxes forgets to honor Mordecai. As the story plays out, it seems, though, that this is by divine design to serve God's purposes and timings and the events of the world. But as we consider the, the, this delay that happens in the text, which I believe is by divine design, we're reminded of something, that when we do good to and for others, we will not always be rewarded immediately. And we want to settle our hearts into a posture that the Lord commands of us so that we might imitate our heavenly father in the world. Listen to what Jesus says. But love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. The believers not to do good, to receive rewards from men, we're not to look to humans for reward. God will take care of us. And unlike humans, God does not overlook 
or forget even the smallest acts of service that you or I do out of love for him. What seems to be clear from the text and other scriptures is that God may choose to reward you in this life for things that you have done in his name. He may exalt you like he does Mordecai later, or he may wait until the day of Christ Jesus. And on that day, I can promise you, as the word says, you will receive a promotion that is out of this world. We saw it in Romans and we saw it in Revelation. We call it by the title, the theological word, glorification. Simply remember what Jesus said at the end of the Bible. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. According to Matthew 10, 42, the Lord Jesus takes notice of even the smallest gestures that we do to offer aid to his representatives in the world, even if our resources are limited. So on Thursday evening, I was heading home after work. I was walking out from the building into the parking lot, and off to the right, I noticed something transpiring in the parking lot. One of our staff members, she had gone out to her car, and for whatever reason, the car had not started. And one of the brothers who had gone out before I had gone out stopped. And even though he needed to get home to his family, he took time to pull his car over, pull out jumper cables, and hook it up to her car to try to resolve the issue to get the car started. He chose, when he was faced with an opportune moment, to do a good work. And God was watching. Brothers and sisters, God provides us opportunities in life to do good to others, and we need to have eyes to see them. While we ought to move in that direction because Christ has done the ultimate good for us by dying for our sins, being raised, and ultimately returning. And so when we find these opportunities placed before us, we ought to seize them enthusiastically as the Spirit leads, knowing that God will reward you on the day of Christ, and perhaps he might even reward you with something in this life. Do good because God has done good for you in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the good things that you have done for us and saving our souls from certain demise. Thank you for rescuing us through faith by the means of what Christ has done so that we might have life with you. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to pool our resources together at this time to serve those, to meet needs in the world, to represent you well in the world. We pray that you would give wisdom to everyone who makes decisions by the resources we pull together to use those to achieve your purposes. May we each be led by your spirit. And may you, Lord, as you work behind the scenes, accomplish through us your good purposes in the world. We desire to honor you and participate in the good that you're doing. Thank you for providing us means to receive income. For you are the one who gives us the power to get wealth in this world. And so now, Lord, we honor you and we praise you for all the good you have done for us. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.